When you're really in the mindset of thinking of yourself as different, I need to assimilate, I need to fit in, you're putting all this pressure on yourself to conform to something which, you know, you've sort of assumed because that's how you've been conditioned. And I think what's been very freeing and what's enabled me a lot is when I've sort of embraced the fact that, yes, of course I'm different. Everybody brings their own story and their journey. And that's what makes what I bring to the table different. This is In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. I'm Corinne Lines. And I'm Suchi Srinivasan. Each episode, we have meaningful and vulnerable conversations with women leaders in digital business and technology. This episode, we're speaking to Farah Ali, Vice President of Technology Growth Strategy at Electronic Arts, a pioneering video games company. Farah sees video games as a powerful tool to unleash creativity that brings a diverse range of perspectives to the table. Outside of her role at EA, Farah champions women and girls through organizations like Girls Who Code and Pakistani Women in Computing, which she co-founded. Here's my conversation with Farah. My name is Farah Ali. I'm a Vice President of Technology Growth Strategy at Electronic Arts. So I do a lot of fun things around looking at future tech strategy, around tech mergers and acquisitions. Can you tell us in your role as VP of Electronic Arts what your day-to-day is like? Yeah, my day-to-day is quite different from what it used to be. So my my path through uh, the industry has been as an engineer. So I started as an individual contributor, grew through the ranks, and then was in management for, you know, managing product teams and engineering teams. Um, This current role is really like a very interesting mix between like a corporate VC role and a corporate tech strat role. And I really look at sort of what's happening in the industry, how do I sift the noise from what's important, what signals are important to EA as a future strategy, what are not, and then how do we make sense of it? How do we incorporate that back into our planning processes? Um, as part of that growth strategy, I look at, you know, are there companies out there with, that we should be partnering with, that we should be doing deals with, licensing their technology, acquiring their technology? I look at things like, how do we look at grassroots innovation happening in the company? And so how do we encourage more of those ideas bubbling up? So there's an internal innovation fair that I run every year. That's kind of one of the most fun parts of my job. And it's really helping people who have interesting ideas that are not directly maybe related to their day-to-day, getting that out there. How do we incorporate that back into the ecosystem? And then just really looking at what the vector should be of interest to us right now that can actually help us build the future of entertainment. It connects with what I wanted to ask you next. In your childhood and your early youth, what were your experiences that led to sort of where you are today? I definitely enjoyed the sort of escapism that gaming afforded, that you could sort of time travel or you could be in different worlds. You could encompass uh, a different reality that's not even physically possible, right? You're talking about worlds or you're in worlds. Like I remember playing a game which was basically, I think it was Golden Axe. It was this really this arcade game I had play a lot and it would be this giant turtle and you're, you're on a land that's on the back of this giant turtle and then you have to go through all these quests. And so just even the idea of interacting with something so off the norm, I think really sort of does something to a young brain and gets you to think more outside the box. And so, you know, I think again, what fascinated me was like, how does this stuff work? And, and this would be really interesting to do myself. Um, so that's really how I got into it. And I think if you're the kind of person who likes doing puzzles or solving, you know, little 
riddles. There's, you know, gaming is a, is a fun way to sort of get into it. And can you describe your career path leading to your current role? Like what were some of the inflection points that sort of you think really kind of led to where you are today? I think when I look back, I can sort of see like a line through it, but it's definitely not a linear path at all. And I think the the more most linear thing was that, you know, I have a degree in computer science. And so I was seeking a job in the field, I started as an individual contributor in Microsoft, and I got exposure to, I think, the breadth of what a tech company can do there because Microsoft is not just one product, it's so many different things. And so I think that was I think maybe a great place to start because of getting that sort of understanding of it. And then I moved through different domains. I was working on tools. I worked in search. I got interested in e-commerce as a space. So I moved to eBay and that's where I kind of grew through the ranks to more senior management. And then this opportunity with EA happened. So I moved into gaming that had always been a passion. And then I took a little bit of a detour and I uh, quit for a few years to go start a company. So I raised venture capital to actually go co-found and be a CTO for a startup. Uh, and that gave me a whole different set of tools. And I started making the connection between, you know, business and, and sales and marketing and technology and how much more important for a, a new company go-to-market strategy is and sales is and how we don't really think about the importance of those disciplines. And then coming back to EA, I think where I am now, it's really kind of taking all of that experience and the the ability to be able to go from zero to one in a business and to be able to think beyond sort of the current couple of years to kind of a future and really beg to that. I think I leverage all of that in my current role and to be able to really have the insights or be able to make those connections, which I think is sometimes harder for subject matter experts because you're so trained to look at a particular area and you just go kind of deep into that. And so, you know, having the range that you can kind of tie all of these different disciplines together to, you know, build on unique insights. I think that's what's really exciting about my current role. And that's what I think my career journey has provided me. What are some of the barriers and challenges that you have faced sort of being a woman and a person of color in your past experiences? When I think about that, when I think about my journey as an immigrant, person of color, female, it's when you're really in the mindset of thinking of yourself as different, I need to assimilate, I need to fit in. You're putting all this pressure on yourself to conform to something which, you know, you've sort of assumed because that's how you've been conditioned. And I think what's What's been very freeing and what's, I think, enabled me a lot is when I've sort of embraced the fact that, yes, of course, I'm different. Everybody brings their own story and their journey. And that's what makes what I bring to the table different. Right. That's what I bring to the table. I mean, it sounds pretty simple when I say it like that. But I think a lot of us miss that because we look to this uh, conformist idea of what a executive should look like or what a certain type of role should look like, what an engineer looks like. And uh, there really isn't any one thing. But I think it's a it's just a journey. I think everybody has to go on because you're young, you start out, you have a lot of preconceived notions, you have some stuff happen and then you're just like, how do I deal with this? And then you realize just like with everything else in life, that's how work's going to be, right? It's never going to be this perfect linear, like all the rules are going to be followed. Um, and so I think when you sort of allow yourself to be your authentic self at work, and find the right fit where you can be embraced for that and you are actually celebrated for that. I think that's sort of like the beautiful point. Such good advice. And I think, like you say, uh, the hoops that you have to jump through to almost 
learn who you are in order to kind of become comfortable with that and then say, okay, this is who I am. And then to make those authentic connections so that you can flourish. Such good advice. You are incredibly passionate about the video games industry, especially about engineering and tech roles that are available. Why do you think that this industry is great to work in? With media and entertainment, you're actually thinking about so many different dimensions of creativity. There's narrative, there's visuals, there's audio, there's, you know, you're not just a consumer, passive consumer of the content. You have to get uh, players to engage. And so how do you keep them coming back? How do you get them to feel like they're part of that world? And how do you keep building out that world, right? It's almost like you start telling a story and you have to keep continuing to tell that story till the game is alive. And so like the whole life services model that depends on it. And I think that's sort of why I think, you know, people who who feel like they're creative and then they also have sort of a knack for technology, this is a really good fit for them because it lets them sort of play around uh, with, with all of it. And what would you say to women that are looking to get into the video game industry, you know, into particular tech or engineering roles? Um, I think, you know, the, the core is make sure that if that's an interest that, you know, if you're pursuing a degree in a related discipline, that's obviously going to be helpful because it doesn't necessarily have to be computer science, but, you know, it could be math, it could be um, electrical engineering. But make sure that you understand the basics of what are algorithms, what are data structures, understand the, the basics of distributed systems. Um, I see a lot of new college grads coming in sometimes at work and they, you know, they don't really know how to go through their code and really sort of debug it if there's a problem. And so they haven't really been taught some of these skills that are so important to do the job. And they've learned a lot in theory, but the practice is sort of missing. And so wherever you can get some of these core concepts, make sure you really understand them and you understand if you're looking at a data structure, for example, like why would you use something like a tree? What's the use of a hash table? Like what types of problems, you know, patterns of problems you solve there? And then also, whenever you can get some hands-on practice, I think whenever you can find internships or do projects on your own, just getting that experiential learning, A, it gets you more comfortable. And then B, it sort of gives you a real taste for, you know, you're going to read all of this and you're going to have to do all this, maybe all these classes that you don't like, but you're not really sitting there and doing calculus, you know. So I think it also brings you sort of back to reality and you don't have that much pressure. Because when I talk to some of the, the younger women and they're thinking about college, they get very nervous about some of the classes and, and they think that that's what their you know work life is going to be. And if they don't enjoy, you're never going to enjoy 100% of everything that you're, you have to go through in college. So don't let that sort of discourage you. I'm so incredibly glad I asked you that question because we ask that question to a lot of people and sometimes it's very vague and you are incredibly concrete. And I think that's just so helpful to our audience members. So thank you so much for sharing that. Can we talk a little bit about representation in games? What are some of the challenges that you see in creating diverse representation? I guess, you know, as with the rest of sort of entertainment, I see there's been this movement, this shift in, you know, how we make content more accessible. How do we represent the entire population of our viewership or our player base in the content that we're presenting. And so when it isn't authentic or, or when you're sort of pandering or you have token characters, there is backlash. There's a lot more awareness about it and people are speaking up. So I think that's really great that people are actually even able to identify. I think before people wouldn't even know if what I'm watching, what I'm consuming is not representative or it's actually discriminatory. Um, so I, I really love that we're in that space. I think same thing goes for gaming. The thing that I really love about where we are right now is, is how 
gaming is also seeing this as a moment where this is not a competitive advantage. It's something that should be a baseline across all games because when you're creating a player base, it's not that this player base will only play games from your company. You know, players will go and play across all of these different places. And so if you have a toxic player in, in this one ecosystem, they will go to this other ecosystem and they'll corrupt everything. And so if you want fairness and you want positive play and you want safe play and you want accessibility, it sort of translates. Um, one thing that <clears throat> EA recently did that I thought was really amazing and kind of set the bar is uh, we open sourced a bunch of our accessibility patents. So we said, you know, we've got these, for example, this colorblindness solution in Madden. We said, yeah, we have this and, and anybody else who wants to use it in their games, go ahead. Here's our here's our source code. Uh, here are the patents for it because we want you to go and enable your games for everybody. That opens the door for other gaming companies to do similar things. The second really interesting thing there that happened a few, four or five years ago actually at E is a bunch of us were sitting and chatting and the Gina Davis Institute came up with this thing called the Bechdel test, which was, you know, how do you, how can you tell if this movie is gender inclusive? And so, you know, there was a number of steps that you would sort of say, oh, does it have a scene where, you know, there are two women having a conversation and, and so forth. So we said, why don't we have something like that for games? And so, you know, EA actually came up with this sort of framework that you can use to identify and then actually go and sort of measure your game against a few things to say, hey, am I am I thinking about inclusion correctly? Is this game accessible? Can people who don't play on controllers still play this game, right? And so it's just looking at things in a more thoughtful, mindful way and then making it with the intention to be accessible to the broadest possible population. So I, I see all of these things happening and really excite me because it's a, it's a whole new era for representation in games, not just gender representation, but having your pronouns in The Sims. I mean, that was a really, really cool thing to do. And it's such a great way for youth who don't feel comfortable expressing themselves like that in the real world. They can actually go into the world of game and then kind of be their authentic selves and maybe it helps them at a different emotional level. And, and so... I, I think a lot more is coming here. We're just sort of scratching the surface. And as you can see, I'm really passionate about this topic. But it's it's really, um, it was a long time coming and I'm glad we're here. And I just see us taking the right steps as an industry and moving into the right direction. So great. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I wanted to change gears a little bit and go to sort of community and your sort of journey a little bit. Um, so you're the first woman in your family to go to college. Can you tell us a little bit about that? I remember growing up around a lot of books. There was definitely a lot of interest in, you know, learning about the world and, and reading. And I think one of the best things was I never encountered any sort of censorship in what I could read or what could I watch. And so that really helped me sort of build a, a mind that was able to think critically for myself. Um, and, you know, when it came to sort of education, it wasn't like I had to fight to go to college, you know, but it was just something that I think because there wasn't a precedent, I didn't really know the right steps and what I should do and I, what I shouldn't do. Didn't, didn't really have a mentor, right, or, or a guide. And so I sort of, you know, stumbled my way through it. <laughs> I'm glad I, I graduated. It was difficult for a lot of different reasons. Um, but what's cool is that I think that gave so much encouragement and motivation to others in my family. And so I think after that, it's just been, you know, so many women in my family have gone to college and gone to done their PhDs and are in academia or doing research or, you know, working and not working. But it's just been great to see that that's been an enabler just within a small little community. And so, you know, I, I obviously wasn't thinking about that, right? I was I was being very selfish. But 
when you think back and you sort of can see like even those little ripples can have such a big impact on on a little ecosystem and a community. It's it's a very, very uh, humbling experience. I graduated and I decided that I wanted to immigrate and, and I was looking for um, employment opportunities in the U.S. And that's kind of how I came here on a work visa. Now this is my my home, uh, kind of my second home. And, you know, I think because of, you know, growing up in Pakistan and having such a strong connection, I, I moved here when I was, you know, my 20s. So I, I basically grew up there and had all my education there. I do feel very connected and I do feel that just, you know, there's people that I know that are smarter than me and have so much to offer. And they just, you know, for whatever reason, just didn't get the same opportunities and weren't able to take the same paths as some other people would. And so I just feel this need to stay connected and give back. And, you know, especially when I could see the impact that I had without even meaning to. I was like, if you're even trying to make that impact, you can have have so much. Yeah, so incredible to see the community impact you had on your own familiar community. And then it just, like you say, it blossoms into look at the the ripples. What sort of cultural differences do you feel have affected your career journey? Or to say that differently, what challenges have cultural differences presented to you with in your journey? I mean, a, a lot of humorous situations, for sure. I remember being in meetings and somebody would use this, you know, ducks in a row or soup to nuts or like, you know, some phrase. And I'd be like, nodding my head and you know pretending to go along with it or make a pop culture reference that I didn't understand. So little things like that. And I don't think they really necessarily obviously block you from doing your job. But I think what happens is that there's these minor things every day that add up like over the years and sort of you can't really point to it, but like you don't feel like you belong because you're always you're at the party and not quite getting it, right? Or the music is something that you've never heard. And so there's, it's never really your scene. It's not your friends. It's not your music. And then at some point you get to that point where it's like, it's my it's my tribe. It's the music I like. And oh, I can dance to this too. I know this dance. And so it's like, it's at that small sort of change from feeling different to actually like still being different, but then feeling it like you belong. And so that sense of belonging within the workplace is very important because um, it gives you the confidence to ask questions in meetings and, and it gives you the confidence to challenge assumptions or challenge a point of view of somebody who's more senior than you, um, who looks different and, 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 and talks in a way that, you know, you're like in awe of them or intimidated by them and you wouldn't otherwise. You're the co-founder of Pakistani Women in Computing, which is so cool. Can you tell us what this organization does and how did you decide to found it? Yeah, uh, so started as sort of like a Facebook community in 2018. I just sort of felt like I knew all these women that I grew up with, these smart women from Pakistan who were in the field and where are they? And, you know, I, I meet some of them, but I don't, you know, usually in, a, in the team that I would be in, it would just be sort of me. And so I wanted to kind of build a community so I could sort of identify who they are and we could sort of help each other share stories. So it started kind of as a, hey, let's connect. And then as I started and I met more people, I, I met Homa, who was a co-founder through that because she was of similar minds. We just realized that, you know, there's so many different women with so many different backgrounds and so many different journeys. But there's this common thread of like, they've all shared the same sort of obstacles. They've all had similar issues getting to where they are. And so us being a little bit ahead in our career journey than some of these other women, we thought, oh, okay, you know, maybe this is what we need to do is like, how do we, you know, 
give back and like have them pay it forward. So that that cycle that like we didn't have, how do we create that? How do we create the old boys network in a way for some of these women? Because like what happens is um, if somebody has an offer from a company, now they have like five people they can just call and say, you know, do these numbers look good? What should I negotiate? Do you think the stock is right? And I mean, you know, I remember my first uh, offer letter, I was like, whoa, somebody wants to pay me <laughs> to do something like that I enjoy. So I think it's that whole, you know, it gets them thinking about their career in different ways. So I started as that and and it's now, um, it's a 5013C nonprofit. It's uh, sort of global chapters. So wherever there's a critical mass of people who are interested, they start a local chapter. There are student ambassadors in different colleges who are are recruiting members. And and we do things like talks about how do you present yourself better? How do you, um, you know, workshops around how do you prep for coding interviews? During COVID, we realized that so many people are looking for jobs or out of jobs. Like there's this whole other situation happening. So we started doing this a job fair virtually and that went really well so we just did the second year of that it's all across North America and then we do one for Pakistan and what's been really cool to see is that a lot of women who maybe were not able to be mobile or leave their house for work but can work from home are able to do that so that we have a lot of these sort of remote working women um it's kind of literally changing their life and literally changing the lives of their families. Incredible to see the global reach you've been able to have there. It's so cool. Can you tell us about a time when you felt like you were in your element? I think it changes, right? You know, what I would say, I'm in my element three, four years ago, would be very different from what it is now. I guess currently I'm most in my element when I'm in the process of learning something new or doing something creative and that gets my brain spinning and making all sorts of of interesting connections between past knowledge and current ideas. That's what I'm feeling like these days. That's when I'm most in my element is my brain is running on all cylinders. That was my conversation with Farah Ali. Suchi, what are some of your key takeaways from this conversation? She went from completing all of her education in Pakistan to stepping into this country as a first generation immigrant, entering gaming. And that's got to have been so intimidating. And for her to take that on in in such a spirited way, navigating through things that others might not even notice, you know, those little, uh, I, I, I almost tore up over the uh, ducks in a row and the soup, soup to nuts comment. It must have been so difficult for her to sit there in that room and feel that. But then to navigate from that spot to now being such an accomplished contributor in multiple functional areas across EA, and even more than that, to kick off and start this community for others who might be following her footsteps. I mean, I love, love the idea of the Pakistani women in computing and then to grow it to such scale. Oh my gosh, she is just such an inspiring tale. Corinne, what stands out to you about the conversation? Another thing that she brought up, which was really interesting, was that she sort of became a prime mover in a way that she went to college. She was the first of her family to go to college. And then 
you know, in years that followed, many of the women behind her did the same. They went into, you know, a field of medicine or they followed her into engineering, but she almost didn't see the impact that she could have had or possibly might have. But then now looking back, she sees the benefit of sort of her pushing the boundaries in the envelope and like what the outcomes have been of that. So that was pretty fascinating to, to see and to hear about. Well, that's all for today. This has been In Her Element, a podcast from BCG. Join us every episode to hear meaningful conversations with women leaders in digital business and technology. Thank you so much for listening. 